Radio Drone. It's another James Cameron-filled episode of Radio Drum. Wait a minute, we've never had a James Cameron-filled episode, have we, before Brad Jones? Uh, for all I know, you are correct. That could have been one of the episodes I wasn't on. Then why would I ask you to do a James Cameron retrospective tonight? Uh, you're kind of forgetful. Huh? <laughs> I said you're kind of forgetful. Oh, oh, sorry, I, I forgot you said that. All right, and, and, and also, I'm going to be on the TV. Alex Jowski is with us. I'm going to be on the TV. You're going to be on TV? No, I'm not. It's a line <laughs> from Invasion of the Space Preachers, which we watched on Live Nude Geeks last week. Uh, I thought you were just I thought you were going to show up as an extra on Sullivan and Son or something. That's you know, the dream, uh, isn't it? The <laughs> wedding band was still on, man. <laughs> yeah, did, did you see the video he just posted of him and Charlie Drunk singing the wedding band song at karaoke? Yeah, it was better than wedding band. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME to get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, free U.S. shipping, and a free mystery gift. All for going to adamandeve.com using the promo code DROME. Now, obviously, tonight we're talking about James Cameron. We're going to do a filmography on him. Brad, what was your first James Cameron movie, or, or when you noticed him? The Terminator was the first James Cameron movie I saw. It was on TV. I was a kid. I, I don't know, maybe kindergarten, first grade, something like that. And it was on TV, and me and my dad had were were watching it. I was more so watching it than he was. I think he was off doing some other things. But as for when I necessarily took notice of like his name, probably would have been around, uh, honestly, maybe around when Terminator 2 came out, maybe. Because I certainly had seen and liked the Terminator, and certainly seen and liked, the abyss and then terminator 2 was around when i was noticing more and more other directors by their names because when i'm a little kid you know i just like the movie it's not that i necessarily know who directed it but then when i reach the age of like you know nine or ten and i start knowing these people's names then yeah that's certainly when i could recognize them by name kind of the same was with terminator 2 because that movie got so much promotion it was hard not to know James Cameron and Terminator 2. And Terminator 2 looked really awesome from everything that they showed. All these like behind-the-scenes trailers on HBO and whatnot. That I went ah, back the and old watched HBO Terminator. first looks. They don't do that anymore. No, they do them in theaters now. They're called like something else first look. Oh, yeah, like AMC first look or something like that. We get, the, we get those too. Well, my first encounter, same as you guys, was Terminator. But since I'm a little older... I remember seeing the poster for it in theaters, but you know, no place was going to sell me a ticket to that. I was nine. I remember seeing it the night it debuted on HBO. That was a big deal. Terminator premieres tonight. So I saw it whatever first night, probably 1985, that it premiered on HBO. So James Cameron is one of those directors that everybody knows. I'll be on record right now. I like just about everything he's done. Up until about 1994. And yes, Brad, you can make the joke if you'd like. <laughs> I don't have to. I think you just did. <laughs> <laughs> See, I stole your thunder and gave it to you. See what I did there? 
I, but, I honestly, I honestly wasn't even going to say anything. So jackass. <laughs> but before that, before he actually was a director, he started out working for Roger Corman as a special effects and model builder, and he did the movies Battle Beyond the Stars and Galaxy of Terror, and technically Forbidden World because Forbidden World just reused the sets from Galaxy of Terror, so they're still James Cameron's work. When you watch Galaxy of Terror, more than Battle Beyond the Stars, you can really start to see James Cameron's style come through, I think. I'll agree to the fact that the visual effects were obviously done by somebody that was talented. Brad, have you seen Galaxy of Terror? Yeah, I've seen Galaxy of Terror, but it's been a number of years. So, I mean, you have more to say about that than I do. Well, basically, if you take the alien sets and the planetscape and the interiors... Mm-hmm. They are directly out of Galaxy of Terror. He basically copied what he did for Corman and said, I got a bigger budget, let's do it right. Yeah, right on. And then he, he also, in a weird way, worked for John Carpenter around this time. In 1981, he did the matte paintings and special visual effects for Escape from New York. Oh, that's cool. That yeah. uh, Snake Plissken's light-up computer screen, remember that? That wasn't a computer, that was a practical effect invented by James Cameron. They, yeah. couldn't, they couldn't figure out how to do those lines and make it look real, so he just built a model city, painted it all black, and outlined it with the green lines. Yeah, cool. So that's actually, see, that's the kind of inventiveness you get when you've got a smart special effects guy who can't fall back on CG. He also did the model effects and matte effects for 1982's Android. You remember that one with Klaus Kinski? I didn't see Android. Oh, okay. I might have seen it once, but I don't remember it at all. And the funny thing about Android is, because of Cameron doing the effects for that, he's completely uncredited with doing the matte paintings and model work for Critters 4. Because Critters 4 literally reuses all of the effects shots from Android. (laughs) So technically the model work and matte paintings in Critters 4 are James Cameron. That's another thing I don't think people ever notice, that it's the exact same shots. But then we get into his first... Would you consider Piranha 2 the spawning his first real movie? He doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. He's, it's, he directed it. <laughs> he, he, he directed it. His name is on there as director, so <laughs> there you go. He doesn't consider that his first real film. He, he feels because he didn't write it, because he was not allowed to change anything from the script, that he was fired, although there's some controversy about at what point he was fired in the production. He says after two weeks... But Lance Henriksen says Cameron shot the entire movie, so I don't know who's wrong in their timeline here. And he didn't have anything to do with the final edit, so he, he's on record that he does not consider Piranha 2 his first movie. He considers oh. Terminator his first film. I, okay, well, I see what he's, I certainly see what he's saying there. He's like, uh, I think he's looking at it as more of a, from a personal angle. Like, you know, like, what movie of his is his own baby, is his own is is certainly his creation something he wanted to do and in that case from his point of view i can see why he would say the terminator whereas maybe he just looks at piranha 2 as like hey you know i was kind of a hired gun on this movie it wasn't really my deal and i just kind of i just directed it bam there you go so artistically speaking i i i get what he's trying to say to be fair though i do see cameron's touch in that there are shots that are very cameron well, you know, yeah, so because, he, I still because, think he did a lot in it. Well, yeah, because I mean, 
regardless of how much his heart was into it and how much of it was necessarily his baby, he still directed it. He was still the director of the movie, so yeah, it most likely will have touches of a James Cameron movie because regardless of how he feels about it or not, he did direct it. But I mean, I I agree. There's parts in the movie where you can tell it's a James Cameron movie, but that's because it is a James Cameron movie. At least parts of it are. All the underwater stuff, because that's typically James Cameron. I mean, the guy loves oceans. Alex, I made you watch this for the first time last week, and you didn't particularly like it. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, first of all, it was boring. I didn't know which Piranha this was a sequel to because there was like three different movies called Piranha that came out all around the same time. The Piranhas are in the ocean with very little explanation. They're mutants. They can fly. Excuse me. Yeah, they explained that later. You know, Mega Piranha had it right by starting the Piranhas in in the river and then moving them to the ocean after they explained it. Piranha 2 didn't do that. It just stuck Piranhas in the ocean and said, F you. And explained it later. Wow, so. Well, at least eventually, at least eventually <laughs> they did explain it. <laughs> yeah. But, but see, here's the one thing about Piranha 2. It wasn't shot as Piranha 2. It was shot as a movie called The Spawning. And it was only, the Piranha 2 was added after Aviado Asantis got the rights to make a sequel. So and it the, wasn't even made as a sequel, really. And the only time they actually reference the title The Spawning, they're talking about Grunions. Yeah, it's not even Piranhas that do it, which is kind of funny. I thought Piranha 2, it's, well, I like the Roger Corman Piranha better than I like Piranha 2, but the success of Piranha 2, a movie like Piranha 2 working as a movie, isn't whether Piranhas can actually exist in the ocean or not. It's a, it's a horror movie about flying Piranhas. Like, if it works, it's because it's an entertaining movie. And if you think well, it's boring, if you think, ruled too. If, if, yeah, if you think it's boring, then it's done its job poorly. If it gets biological information about piranhas wrong, that's not the kind of movie that this is. <laughs> it doesn't really matter if they're experts on piranhas or not. They're making a movie about flying piranhas that are killing people. And does it work as a horror film, as an entertaining B movie? Then it does. Then yeah, then it works, and that means it's entertaining. Even, of course, a movie like this is going to be stupid, but Piranha 2 is really stupid. With that being said, though, Lance Henriksen really does carry that movie. Like, he's a really genuine, likable lead in that film, and anytime it's on screen, it really elevates it quite a bit more than it probably should, because Alex is kind of right in that there's moments in Piranha 2 that are kind of slow and are kind of boring, but the parts that work, for me, work. The piranhas flying out of the ocean and killing people. That worked for me. Lance Henriksen worked. Overall, I thought it was kind of fun. Yeah, Lance, yeah, Lance, Hendrickson scenes, Lance Hendrickson scenes were quite enjoyable. Whether Cameron or Henriksen or Asantis is right on who actually directed the bulk of the movie, it was his first stepping stone. He did use it to get Terminator. Now, Terminator is a film... Okay, we got to mention the plagiarism thing, but I'm not going to go into it. That You can listen to the old industrialized plagiarism episode of Radiodrome for that. Terminator, I feel, is, is a James Cameron movie. The plagiarism issue aside, it feels like what we would come to expect a James Cameron movie to be. And you can kind of tell when you watch it, for the relatively low budget it was made on, it's an ambitious-as-hell movie that actually works. 
it's a scary movie, and with the effects that they have, they really give it scope. They really, really give it scope by shooting things, you know, just right, by picking really good shots, really good shots to really expand on the small budget that they have to make it look even bigger than it actually is. It works as an action film because, one, I mean, the action's really good in the movie. You're caught up in the story. You're with the characters. The good characters in this movie are heroic. They're charismatic. And the evil characters in it are genuinely freaking scary. And they're a real freaking threat in this movie. He, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a menacing fucking force in this film. And that, God, really gives it a sense of danger in a personal aspect because he's trying to kill this girl. And on a global aspect, too, because we're talking about the end of the freaking world. So, in so yeah, it, ter, honestly, Terminator is the first Terminator. It's my favorite of all the Terminator movies, and it's honestly probably also my favorite James Cameron movie. I don't think it's my favorite Cameron movie. I gotta go Aliens with that. But mm. it's it's I do think I agree with you. It's as much as I love Terminator 2, I think Terminator is a much stronger film. But I think the film could have been stronger if Cameron had gotten his way. He originally wanted Lance Henriksen to play the Terminator, but Orion executives said they couldn't buy all the things that the Terminator does in this from such a skinny, lanky guy that they needed a bulky guy. I actually think that would have made what he did even more incredible, don't you? Well, you know, we got that in Terminator 2, so Terminator I, 2, we I'm have a saying, small... It's... Terminator 2, we have a small, lanky guy in that. Terminator 1, we have Arnold. Yeah, Lance Henri- Henriksen would, would, would have done fine, of course. I don't think anyone is saying he wouldn't have done fine in that role. You know, Terminator is a classic. It's, it's a classic. And if you're asking me now as a 31-year-old guy if I would want that changed, this movie that I've grown up with since I was a kid, no, no, God no. Arnold Schwarzenegger's fine in the role. He's big, he's menacing, and he's really, really freaking scary. I'm f- totally fine with Arnold Schwarzenegger playing the bad guy. At least it wasn't O.J. Simpson who Orion wanted. Yeah. Orion wanted O.J. Simpson, but, and I quote, nobody would buy him as a remorseless killer. Oh, how history has proven that wrong, huh? <laughs> oh, The Terminator is awesome, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is perfect for the role. I really cannot imagine anybody else as that role. Lance Hendrickson may have been good at it, but I can't imagine him in it after seeing it so many times with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, and then there's also the fact that it kind of it proved what a force Cameron was about to become on the film scene. At the premiere, Roger Corman pulled Cameron aside and very lamentingly said, "How did I let you get away?" That you know he that, that that he saw that that Corman saw, dude. I wish you were still working for me. There's probably a lot of directors Corman could have said that to, though. It's true, but he's on record saying it to Cameron at the Terminator premiere. Then after Terminator, we go to Aliens. I really don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that because we went quite in-depth in the Alien retrospective, but I, I think that's one of those few sequels that is as good as the movie It's a Sequel to. Yeah, what I like about Aliens, and I'm sure this was mentioned in the Alien retrospective, is that James Cameron does Aliens, the sequel to Alien, and he really, he, dear God, I mean, he makes it his own. It it has its own style. It has its own, it's certainly more of an action film than Alien is. He kind of gives it all, he goes into one, another aspect of the genre 
in a different direction than Alien did, but he did it he did it well. He did it well to where yeah, this movie is is certainly it's it's bigger budgeted than Alien, yeah, and it does more it's a bit more of a spectacle. It does some different things in terms of action and with some of the characters, but it still feels like it's of the same universe. You don't feel like you're watching like where the hell did all this stuff come from? The tone here is completely different than the other one. You don't feel like that. He manages to be much different than the first one while still having it feel like it's still of that universe. Aliens is definitely, like, more so than Terminator, I consider Aliens to be the ultimate James Cameron film because it feels like him. It's got all the tropes we, you know, we will see with James Cameron in many of the later films. The stuff that, you know, he expanded upon what he'd started with Terminator, and he really, really has his own style with Aliens. And the, the funny thing was his agent, his manager, his – I can't remember if he was married to Gail Ann Hurd at this point or if they were just engaged. So his fiance slash wife, everyone told him, whatever you do, you do not follow Terminator with a sequel to something else. And you know what? He proved that you can. Yeah. Successfully. And then after that, he did he did a short that none of us have seen called Reach in 1988, which has just got a stellar cast to it. It's like an eight-minute short, which Brad tells me you can find on YouTube, starring Catherine Bigelow, Bud Court, Jeanette Goldstein, Lance Henriksen, Adrian Pazdar, Bill Paxton, Judge Reinhold, Paul Reiser, Mark Ralston. I need to see this! Apparently, though, because in Reach they go to, like, Martini Ranch, which is the name of a band, and I found it on YouTube on MTV's YouTube channel. Even better. So I think this is like a music project more than just a short film. I don't care. That's got a stellar cast, man. It's like his version of Thriller. (laughs) You know what? I'm not a Michael Jackson fan. I enjoyed Thriller. I enjoyed Thriller. So screw that. I don't care if it's a music video, really. Well, then after that, he goes on to The Abyss, a movie that we only lightly touched on in our Director's Cut episode, I think the theatrical version, which even Cameron admits is not really his version, is a complete and utter mess. It doesn't make any sense. The ending comes out of nowhere. There's no characterization. The story moves along way too fast for any kind of emotion to be involved. Then you see the director's cut. Night and day different film. I love the director's cut of The Abyss. I cannot stand the theatrical cut. But the movie was incredibly successful, so... Audiences in '89 disagreed with me. Uh, yeah, I. It, it's kind of like what we were talking about uh, in the director's cuts episode when we mentioned Leon. How after seeing Leon, you don't you don't want at least me personally. I don't feel the need to freaking ever see the professional again. You know, even though when the professional first came out and I saw it in the theater, I liked it a lot. But then having seen Leon, it's like, uh, well, this is a hell of a lot better kind of the same thing with me with the abyss too like after seeing the director's cut of the abyss that is way better than the theatrical one for me personally there's no reason to watch the theatrical one again do you think that that there was anything in 1989 that audiences were just kind of willing this is the guy that made terminator this is the guy that made aliens that that they were kind of willing to overlook all the plot holes or do you think they were just like ah, it just is kind of a dumb action movie in the cut released in 89 yeah, sure. Because if it's a if it's an entertaining enough if it's an entertaining enough movie, and you're along for the ride, and you're kind of invested in what's going on, and you know you're having a good enough time, if it's working for you like that, 
and you don't really notice any plot holes at all, then then you're not going to notice them. I'm, I'm, I'm like that. I watch dumb action movies all the time that I like that, yeah, probably have some plot holes in it, but I d- don't really notice it or thinking about it, so what do I give a shit? I must only have seen the theatrical cut of the movie, if that's what they showed on HBO and stuff back then, because they showed the hell out of that movie when Terminator 2 came out. Yeah, because I think the, and, the director's cut actually didn't even debut on video, not even Laserdisc or home video. It debuted on the Sci-Fi Channel. That was a big deal. Remember that, Brad? Like, 94, mm-hmm. 95, the first yeah. time ever to see the real ending and all these deleted scenes, and they showed it widescreen, too. That that was a sci-fi channel premiere for the director's cut of The Abyss. Quite understand or get the movie because I was like 12 then. But I did watch it again recently and, you know, 20 years of experience has made me appreciate the movie a hell of a lot more than I did when I was 12. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, even me when I – because I was probably, I I don't know, 11, 10 when I first saw it. Um, Maybe maybe younger than that. But – yeah, there's stuff that I didn't wouldn't have picked up on as a ten year old when I saw it for the first time. But then, yeah, it it works in different ways for me uh, now being much older. And I remember too when the director's cut came out, like uh, Siskel and Ebert did another episode on it and reviewed the director's cut. Well, and then we move on, and I actually forgot one of his pretty big writing credits that he had earlier on, Rambo Two. He 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 in essence wrote Rambo 2, Stallone outright says on the documentary on the DVD, he heavily rewrote Cameron's script. Mm. So ah. I, I really don't know how much of what we see in Rambo 2 is actually James Cameron, but he's still credited as co-writer on the screenplay. I, I, I believe Stallone when he said he heavily rewrote it, because that's Stallone does that a lot with his movies he ha- he heavily rewrites if he's not writing it on his own then yeah he heavily rewrites a lot of his stuff and i would be willing to guess that he's right about that movie being really heavily rewritten because it definitely and i like the movie and i like stallone oh i like the movie it, too it, but it, yeah it doesn't it feel cameron at all does it n- no it doesn't it definitely feels like a sylvester stallone film definitely i can see sylvester stallone rewriting it because the, the the feeling I always got from Rambo 2 is that it retcons the Vietnam War, and that's not something I see Cameron doing. Oh, you, 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 mean, you mean the tagline that Stallone wanted that the studio wouldn't let him have, this time we get to win, didn't tell you that? Yeah, I don't see Cameron doing that. We, the reason I brought that up is Cameron also, even though he's uncredited due to Writers Guild rules, a movie he executive produced prior to Terminator 2 was, but he heavily wrote Point Break with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. He admits, Catherine Bigelow admits, he wrote about 80% of the screenplay. So even though Alex doesn't want to believe me because he doesn't have a screen credit, Point Break is a James Cameron movie too. Well, it's a it's a Catherine Bigelow movie. Um, well, Cameron executive produced it and wrote more than half of it. It's still kind of a Cameron movie too, kind of. Well, yeah, did, did, kind of, but kind of, but you can't say like, oh yeah, this is a hundred percent a James Cameron movie. It's not, even if he wrote eighty percent of it. But if he wrote eighty percent of it, then that honestly that wouldn't surprise me. I could, I can kind of see it a little bit. I love Point Break. I think Point Break is awesome. But I actually, I really did like Point Break, and I didn't know Cameron wrote it at first because, like, 
like with Alex, he wasn't credited. So until I read an interview and then I went and watched it again and I said, I can definitely see some Cameron touches in this script. Very much so. Mm -hmm. Some of the humor I certainly can. Yeah. Well, and even the, the kind of offbeat bank robbing surfers, that that's kind of, of the... an offbeat uh, thing to latch on to, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and like some of the hubris of the film. I can see it. Did James Cameron write the line where the FBI agent says, I am an FBI agent? Because that's some Dora the Explorer crap right there. I believe you mean, I am an FBI agent. Yeah, that's Dora the Explorer there, man. That's just Keanu Reeves' awesome delivery. After that, he moves on to Terminator 2, the film that I think made him a superstar. I think Terminator 2's success is the film that forever cemented James Cameron as a Hollywood force. I think it's a great movie. It's one of the best action movies ever made. I know Brad disagrees with me on that a little bit. I think it's one of the best action movies ever made. Even though I can't watch the theatrical cut anymore, I absolutely loved Terminator 2. I just think Terminator happens to be a stronger film. Yeah, I think Terminator is a stronger film. I And I like, I like Terminator 2 a lot. I think Terminator 2 is a damn fine movie. I just think it's too long. I think the movie's a little too long. It has scenes that are certainly a pretty good spectacle, but probably could have ended a couple minutes earlier than they did. And I, I, I just find the first Terminator a much more compact, satisfying movie for my tastes than Terminator 2. But I, I do like Terminator 2 a lot. Terminator 2 was awesome. I mean, I've seen that movie countless times. I've never really seen the director's cut, though. Which we talked about before, though. I think the director's but, cut really does make it a stronger film. But like Brad pointed out, not knowing about those scenes when I saw it in the theater seven times in the summer of 91, that didn't affect me until after I saw the, all that stuff. Oh, I only saw it one time in the theater, but then it premiered on HBO, and that's where I saw it about like 20 times. Would you, would you both agree with me that that's the film that cemented him as a superstar? Yes. A superstar, yeah. Because that film, that made a ton of money. Like Alex pointed out earlier, that film was not just promoted heavily, that film was the very definition of a box office success. And even though it was quite expensive, for how much business it did, it was relatively cheap, wasn't it? I can see that, certainly. Even in 1991. And... This is where Cameron started, well, technically the abyss, but he started to fall in love with CG, even though CG was in its really early stages. But I do agree, and I know this is going to be contradictory to what I normally say, the T-1000 probably could not have been done with a practical, with the morphing stuff that most likely required CG. Yeah, and it, it, it you know, it, it worked in that. It, it, it did, because... I can buy that that's what that character looks like when he's morphing and doing all that stuff. It, it, I know it's a CG effect, but in that movie, it kind of has a, a liquid weight to it. You know, it, it, it really does. And, and you are right that, yeah, that stuff with the T-1000, yeah, probably couldn't have been done practically. The T-1000 stuff was a huge selling part of that film. It was probably... At the time, I felt the most remarkable thing about it was the visual effects with the T-1000. And there were 
countless behind the scenes first looks and things about it that talked about you know this is revolutionary stuff here but terminator 2 did it right it used the cg when it was necessary yes when a practical could not achieve that effect yeah it didn't use cg so the truck could make a right turn you know it used it when it was necessary and when it would look fine not just because they're lazy yeah, the movie does have plenty of wonderful sequences of practical effects. But then, for whatever reason, I, possibly burnout from the production of Terminator 2, Cameron then took a a three-year break before his next directorial effort, which was the one film where I just I didn't like True Lies. I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't think it's a poorly made movie. It, I understand if people like it, why they like it. True Lies just didn't do anything for me. I didn't get into the characters. I didn't get into the story or the humor. I just could not get into True Lies. But if you like it, I don't begrudge you that. I, I like the movie just fine. I mean, I can't, I can't necessarily argue with what you're saying because you can't really argue against someone who's saying like well these characters didn't work for me this story didn't work for me the humor didn't work for me you know that's subjective to that person that's what they took away with it for me all that stuff really worked i thought it was a movie that james cameron was just having a hell of a lot of fun what i really liked about true lies was that you really got to know the character that arnold schwarzenegger was playing in that more than in a standard Arnold movie. And and, and I'm, I'm not saying that as a slight against his other movies, dear God, at all. I'm not. I'm just saying I really like what True Lies did because True Lies, it, it throws you, in the beginning of it, it throws you into this big action set piece where it's him and his group, they're spies, they're after these terrorists, you know, there's shootouts, there's action sequences on the rooftop. But then after that, you really get to know this guy. You really get to know this guy, uh, what his relationship with his wife is like, what his relationship with his with his kid is like. And then it gets very, very funny when he thinks that his it turns into like sort of like an like a domestic comedy, really, like just about just where the dad just happens to be this high octane action guy. He thinks his wife is cheating on him. So he's using all of his gadgets to find out how. And then it all comes full circle at the end when both or in the last third of the movie, when both of those plots, his job and his relationship with his family, all come in together, all intersect and form one. And for me, that really worked. The action was really good. The villain was really good. And when it was funny, I thought it was genuinely funny. I did have a great time with True Lies for the same reasons that Brad did. It's a fun movie. That and... That movie really got me to develop a crush on Eliza Dushku for a while because she plays the daughter. Right. And see, maybe my opinion would change if I'd see it from anything from a decade ago because I think the last time I saw it was around 2001, maybe even 2000. I just remember not liking it all that much. Like Like you guys just said, I can totally see why it worked for you. It just didn't for me. So that's not one where it's like an Adam Sandler movie where... I will look down on you for laughing at grown-ups, but yeah. at the same time, I won't look down on you for liking True Lies just because I didn't. Well, um, I and another well, I like to the fact that it's really 
the character that Arnold plays in it is a lot more three-dimensional that you get in a typical Arnold movie, you know? He's a family guy, he's funny. Well, and he was he's stretching also his in, acting chops, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, I think, honestly, in terms of performance-wise, by far, I think it's one of Arnold's best performances. Well, and then after that, after True Lies, okay, he, Cameron did direct this, the T2 3D Battle Across Time ride at Universal oh, yeah, Studios. Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw that. I've never seen it as a ride. I have a bootleg of the work print, which is still really unfinished. I mean, you can see Robert Patrick jumping off a platform where the time portal would be added later. And at one point you hear Cameron go, Robert, go off Mm -hmm. camera, which is kind of funny. I mean, he still directed it. It's still technically part of the Terminator chronology. Are we saying that a theme park ride is canon? Well, it was according to Cameron. I I never watched it or wrote it. It it was the it, case maybe <laughs> it's 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 not like a ride in the in like i mean really it's just like a 3d kind of feature that you sit there and like if i remember right yeah it's it's sort of like interactive in a way like uh oh so it's like the um the honey we shrunk the audience thing yeah kind of like between that and like captain eo and and things like that like keep in mind it's been since the ride probably first 96 came out. so it's been since 96 at least since since i saw it and uh it would like the the screen would would you'd see like smoke come from under the screen and then a guy who looks like arnold who was supposed to be the t800 would come out on his motorcycle and there would be like kind of a little action scene that would happen with like a linda hamilton look alike and it was also in 3d so it was uh, like I'll, a, send, I'll send you a copy of that bootleg after the show, Alex. It was yeah, like a I've, William Castle wet dream. Kinda, kinda. Yeah, and the 3D was the the 3D is was basically the technology of 3D that we have now. Which I mean, in '96, amazing. Um, yeah, but for a ride, you were able to charge a lot more, and the whole thing's 18 minutes, maybe something like that. So yeah, it's not yeah. it's not a ride in the sense that like the Back to the Future ride or the no. ET ride. No, 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 no. It, like it, it's more watching a movie where the seats move and kind of interact with you a little bit. Yeah, that's that's essentially what it is. And the 3D, yeah, again was it it, it was spectacular 3D. Well, and then between that, he produced and co-wrote Strange Days, a movie that Alex yells at me that I bring up too often. But you do bring it up too goddamn much, Josh. I you, like I, Strange I Days. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's an okay movie, but you bring it up all the time. I like Strange Days. Strange Days is a that's a smart movie, man. That's a fun sci-fi flick. I, I even though it was again directed by Bigelow, when you listen to the commentary, she says Cameron was very much on set and offering suggestions. And you can kind of tell that one really does feel very Cameron-esque at points too, doesn't it? Well, it also feels very Catherine Bigelow too, and I mean that she, she I is like, one of the I best. Like, Catherine, I like Bigelow, Catherine Bigelow. Oh yeah, she is. She is one of the best action movie directors in the mainstream. I think. Uh huh. I think Bigelow is a great underrated director, very much so. Yeah, I like Catherine Bigelow a lot, and you you can certainly see you can certainly see some. Cameron touches in Strange Days, but it's for me anyway. It it definitely feels like a Catherine Bigelow film. Then after that, he goes to the movie that if Terminator Two cemented him as a superstar, Titanic made him a name that no one will ever forget in 1997. 
I, th- I thought you were going to say it made him the king of the world. I was trying to avoid That's that joke. That's what he so said at the Oscars. I, yeah. know, I was trying to avoid that joke, but thank you so much for that. <laughs> but Titanic, I saw it in the theater. Honestly, it's it's that's a strange movie for me. I think the action is great in the second half, but I think the love story is completely trite. And in all honesty, for the first half of the film, I'm far more interested in the side characters than Jack and Rose. Yeah, I, I mean, like I, I mean, uh, Titanic and Titanic certainly falls into that trope of like it's popular, so it sucks. But you, looking at it, like it's. I'm not a huge fan of Titanic, really. I kind of agree with what you're saying. I thought the action in it was solid. By the time it finally got there, I thought the action was solid. It's definitely a well-made movie. Oh, my God. I, I It has a great villain. Billy Zane, I thought, chewed up scenery and was awesome. I actually it, like David Warner better as the villain, it, but he, he got he got shit-canned on screen time. A lot of his scenes wound up on the cutting room floor, unfortunately. David, yeah, David Warner was awesome. The movie's too long. It's too damn long. It's a little too cheesy in parts. And you're you're right. The the love story of the movie it does nothing for me really. Like I don't really care that much about Jack and Rose. I mean, not that I wanted to see any of them die, but I certainly didn't need to s- s- see them for a three hour and fifteen minute movie. They weren't that they weren't that strong of characters really. You know, they're in terms of a Cameron movie, they're certainly not. Kyle Reese, they are certainly not Ed Harris, they are not Harry Tasker, you know, at, at all. So, I, the love story, you're right, I mean, it was trite. I've seen far worse love stories, the Anakin and Padme oh, love story is yeah. but way the thing, worse than Jack and Rose. Jack and Rose is just mediocre and kind of bland. But the one thing I'll give the Jack and Rose love story, Kate Winslet has amazing boobs. Oh, yeah. And we get to see them, so I appreciate see, that. If I want to see that, though, I'll watch... I could find that in plenty other places besides Titanic. <laughs> I watched it when it came out, and I, I didn't hate the movie. I kind of enjoyed it, but that movie was, like, number one at the box office for months. Like, my entire junior year of high school, that was the date movie. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't even know how many times I watched it in theaters because that was the thing. You take a girl, you see Titanic. Luckily. You, did you get lucky? I, I <laughs> Well, I was the junior of high school. Of course I did. And it was, it was all a matter of watch Titanic, pretend to like the love story. <laughs> I was single when Titanic came out, so I only saw it in the theater once. <laughs> but then Titanic made him, as you guys so aptly put it, king of the world. It made him unstoppable, but it also started, I, I don't know, some people, I would call this the downward spiral of James Cameron, where he started to lose that James Cameron feel, and he started to start to rely too much on CGI, too much on expensive, expensive budgets. You look at, like, you know, he came from the Corman school, and how, Brad, I mentioned how Terminator feels bigger than its relatively meager budget, whereas now Cameron can't make a movie on less than $100 million. I mean, do you think Titanic is where that change happened? I I would assume. I mean, like, he's only done one movie since Titanic, you know? He, but and he also did the, the Dark Angel TV series, which was the most expensive series Fox has ever produced. 
with a $3 million an episode budget partially dictated by Cameron. Suddenly it seems like, I mean, he certainly gained an even bigger ego around that point. Um, Honestly, I don't remember anything about Dark Angel beyond Jessica Alba's body. I I didn't watch Dark Angel like um but he I I it became it seems like his attitude is since Titanic is more just about the spectacle and James Cameron has certainly for most of his career been a spectacle director but that wasn't the only but thing. it was a so, spectacle with a story it was a, yeah you're exactly he had a spectacle with a story he had a spectacle with very 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 three dimensional characters. Since Titanic, it seems like he's more – again, it's hard to say that it's just become about – because he's only made one movie since then. But certainly his attitude in the movies – in the movie he did make and then the movies he wants to make after that really just reek of just showing a spectacle and that's it. Well, before we get to Avatar, because that will illustrate your ex- the example you just brought up, he did direct the 90-minute the series finale of Dark Angel, and surprise, surprise, $5 million budget turned out to be the most expensive episode in the history of the series. Uh-huh. Again, going to, he just can't seem to make, you know, because it was 90 minutes with commercials, so about an hour and 10 minutes probably without commercials, an hour and 10-minute action fest without spending a ton and a ton of money. He seemed to... It seems like he got split in half with a transporter accident, and the Roger Corman James Cameron and the Titanic James Cameron are battling for control of the body. But then we go on to, he made a bunch of documentaries because he got fascinated with the Titanic and deep sea photography and whatnot, so I don't care about those. If you guys want to talk about those, fine. I don't need it. No, I never saw them. I can't really comment. He made like three or four of those. Yeah. The guy likes the ocean. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it, but but then he made Avatar. I think Avatar is, without a doubt, one of the worst big-budget wastes of time I've ever seen. To me, there was no story. There was no characters. Nothing happened in this movie beyond spectacle, which makes it even more ironic that the whole plagiarism thing comes up He's being sued by four different writers at the time we record this for plagiarizing Avatar, which is funny since the movie has no story. Oh, it has a story. Avatar has a story. It's just one that we've seen a million times. Avatar, I again, Avatar also falls into that trope of it's popular, so it sucks more times than it should. Avatar is so not one of the worst event movies of all time i um, hate i and i saw if you, it if you hate it, if you hate it i hated it, it before it was popular i'm a if hipster you, if you hate it if if you hate it that's fine many people do but worst really but like avatar i think is i think avatar really really works as a 3d theatrical imax spectacle it does. It's a story that you've seen a million times before and we never need to see again. Yeah, it has a story. It's just one that we've also seen in Fern Gully, in Dances with Wolves, and things like that. It's it's that, but it's sci-fi and it's in outer space. No one needs to see that story again. And in terms of characters, I'm not going to say that all the characters in that movie were bad. 
I like Michelle Rodriguez a lot, and I thought she was good in this one too. And Stephen Lang as the villain for me was the most James Cameron thing about that movie. That was Stephen Lang's performance was phenomenal. I just thought his character was terrible. His, I thought his character was fine. I thought his character served that movie fine as the villain. And he, he really made that character that could have been completely forgettable. He made that character his own and really gave that character balls and a personality. I think that there are characters in that movie that work. And that character, in terms of how that character is written and in terms of performance, is a very James Cameron character. But like I said, when Avatar came out, yeah, I recommended it because as a 3D spectacle on screen, it worked in that regard. I also think that that's the only way that it works. I haven't seen Avatar since then. There's no reason for me to see Avatar on just television. There's no reason for me to rent it. There's no reason for me to buy it. I It only really, really works when... You just want to see some shit flying at your face for three hours and kind of get caught up in the spectacle of the thing and the and the gorgeous colors that are going on on this huge screen that you're watching. For me, it worked in that regard, and that's the only reason why, and that's the only way it works. Beyond that, I don't. Beyond that, it really, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. There's really no reason to see the movie again, and there's really no reason to watch it beyond seeing it for the first time on a on a big IMAX screen in 3D. Are you basically saying that it had its window, which is now passed? Uh, yeah, honestly, honestly, yeah, because notice that it's not the con- yeah, the movie made a lot of money. It set the record for how much money it made. It didn't have audience legs beyond that. It's not Terminator 2 that people are still talking about to this day. It isn't, it isn't, um, uh, what's another, it, okay, okay, it's it's not even Titanic. I mean, pe- there are still people who watch Titanic now that it's off big screens. Avatar's not like that. It only exists for that one purpose, and beyond that, who talks about Avatar anymore? Yeah, yeah the only people I see really talking about Avatar are in the context of, it's because of Avatar we have all this 3D now. But that is true. If Avatar had not succeeded in the theater, I don't think we would have the 3D craze we have now. So I kind of blame it for that, but that's not James Cameron's fault. Yeah, that's not that's not their fault. I mean, it is true that real there were a there were some real D 3D movies that came out before Avatar did. My Bloody um, Valentine even, even was that, that before or after? My Bloody, my Bloody Valentine was before. Okay, I uh, thought so, but I wasn't sure. My Bloody sure. Valentine was not real 3D. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, well, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My Bloody Valentine was shot 3D. It's so. Yeah. I mean, I thought the movie was terrible. I didn't see it in 3D. I thought it was oh, a terrible th- movie, three, but in 3D that movie was a blast. I haven't 2D. I I haven't seen it. Maybe it totally does not. I've, I only saw that on DVD. My son it, bought it, and I'm like, I hate you, kid. Oh no! In 3D, that movie was fun as hell. Avatar is really what put that kind of 3D in the real mainstream. That, like, you know, blockbusters are going to start doing this now. Academy Award contending films are going to start doing this now. I don't really think that's Avatar. Yeah, I mean, it, it is Avatar's fault, but I mean, Avatar didn't. It was. I don't think it was James Cameron's intent that we were going to get all of these crap conversion 3D movies just shoved down our throats. Cameron has come out and said that he doesn't approve of all these people that have 
misappropriately used 3D, mostly the the post-conversion stuff. I yeah, I, I agree with him. He's right for saying that. He loses. He lost me when he said some time ago that movies like Piranha shouldn't be in 3D because it cheapens the gimmick. He lost me at that. Yeah, because but. as we've discussed, Avatar was kind of all gimmick. But then let me ask you guys this. Do you think that Cameron is making a wise career move or a bad career move when he said the rest of his career is going to be Avatar 2 and 3 and then retiring? Do you think going out on a franchise that really doesn't have a lot of substance is the best way to cement your legacy in the filmmaking field? I wish he wouldn't do that. Like, How long is he even... Are like does anyone really think those movies are ever gonna happen? Are those movies ever gonna happen? How the hell long has he been talking about those? I, well, but, they're even talking about the shooting them back to back, Matrix and Back to the Future style. So I don't know if they'll ever happen. But he says he's retiring. He's making Avatar two and three, and then he's done with filmmaking forever. I th- I think that's on the one hand, I think that's a mistake because it's so not one of his best movies. On the other hand, it's like, I kind of, part of me wants to see what he could do with that universe with a much more original story than Avatar had. Maybe he can do something with that. Maybe he can do something that has more legs and has a lot more substance than the first Avatar did. Maybe. Who knows? Because Avatar was such a already told story that we've just seen a, a million times before in the past. So part of me is kind of interested in if he does something a lot more original with that universe he's created, but my god, I don't want that to be the only things that he ever does. I would like to see a lot more frickin' variety from the guy before he retires. I would like to see a screenplay that doesn't use placeholder names like Unobtainium. (laughs) Well, well, there's that. But see, me going back to the joke of me not liking anything after 95... Cameron kind of is an example of that. That's about the time I started to see, in my opinion, the quality of his filmmaking drop off. So to me, I'm always going to remember James Cameron movies for the stuff he made in the 80s and early 90s. Others are going to disagree with me on that, but that to me is kind of where that cutoff is, is Strange Days, 95. His storytelling certainly declined. While I don't have any, I don't have any kind of hatred for Avatar. I don't have any kind of hatred for Titanic. They are much lesser written films than his earlier stuff. His earlier stuff is a lot more well written than those movies are in terms of story and in terms of characters. So yeah, there is, there is certainly a decline there. While you know he's the budget certainly got bigger the effects certainly got bigger but you know there was it seems like there was kind of a cost there in terms of storytelling yeah i'm going to agree that he certainly lost on storytelling because both titanic and avatar they're half of a good movie that they look pretty you know there are wonderful visual effects in both movies but the story is not there i mean i don't understand why titanic would have won best picture that year I would love it if he did something more akin to the style to the style and the attitude of his movies that he did in the 1980s and in the early 1990s. I would love to see that James Cameron again. Not really so much the Avatar one, even though like I said as a as a spectacle film as a 3D spectacle, I think it's fine. 
I that's not the James Cameron that I like the best. Uh, the Terminator is the James Cameron I like the best. Aliens, movies like that. And I would like to see that again, but I don't have any hope because I don't think that's ever going to happen again. I like that Cameron is constantly innovating filmmaking and special effects. And I wish that he would continue to do that, but I don't think he's going to if he keeps hanging around Pandora. <laughs> I think he is still a great filmmaker, even if he hasn't made a great film in a while. I still think he's got it in him because you can look at his old stuff and you can see a progression in his style. And even though I thought the quality dropped off after Strange Days, I don't think it dropped to levels where it's unattainable again. Yeah, because Avatar is so not a it's the complete opposite of a poorly made film. It's a, honestly, Avatar, maybe one of the reasons that it struck me as so irritatingly bad is it, it's it's too perfectly planned out. I mean, it, it just seems so calculated to, okay, because Cameron has this, the one thing I'll say about Cameron's writing, he follows, you can go, you can go through almost all of his films, director's cuts, most, you know, in Aliens, Abyss, and Terminator 2. He follows the trope almost to the minute of every 10 to 12 minutes, you have an action scene. Then you have a dialogue scene. He follows the screenwriting 101 philosophy. Mm-hmm. And that's what the entirety of Avatar was, was just screenwriting 101. And I kind of felt it talked down to me. Does that make sense? I think that that's one of the main reasons why it really only works as a theatrical experience. And that's it. Well, if anyone wants to wants to find Brad not watching Avatar, where can they go? Uh, TheCinemaSnob.com If anyone wants to find Alex Derjowski, where can they go? GeekJuiceMedia.com And for all of my crap, 1201Beyond.com You can contact the show at 1201Beyond at gmail.com And hey, I'm at GeekJuiceMedia as well. So have a good night, guys.
Radio Drone is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.